right now, the train is going off the cliff. Sure is. Hope we don't go with it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP 102.9 FM, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast-to-coast coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. We are... As ever, five days a week, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for uh, very much for joining us today. Well, uh, congratulations, I should say, to, uh, to everyone here. Congratulations to all you have made it. You have made it to today. Good work. Uh, it hasn't been easy. It has been a long year. It has been a long uh, more than a year since this uh, campaign got underway. This election 2016 got underway. We are just over three weeks away from Election Day. The end is near. <laughs> In theory, uh, you made it. Congratulations. It's OK. You're going to be OK. Now, I'm projecting a little bit. <laughs> Because I'm trying to tell myself I'm going to be okay and that we're all going to be okay. I'm doing a little bit what Donald Trump did uh, over the past uh, day or so when he told his uh, followers, his supporters, that uh, they will be destroyed, that there is a uh, worldwide conspiracy out to get them, that their family will be destroyed that they will do anything to ruin them. Of course, he was talking about himself and what is going on with him. He was projecting, much as I'm projecting when I tell you that you'll be okay. You'll be all right. You made it. Really? I'm talking to myself. We are just over three weeks away from Election Day, and uh, there is a... A total meltdown, as Time magazine called it, going on on the Republican side. But in uh, in no small part, it's also going on for the country at large. We are all going through this together. And I don't know if you're a South Park fan. Desi, I know you are. Oh, yeah. And hello, Desi Doyen. <laughs> hello. I forgot to say hello. <laughs> 
Uh, South Park, uh, I don't know if you're a fan, but if you've been watching this season, it started a few weeks ago. They, you know, they, they put out these things. They do them in the week that they air. They actually animate, write the whole story, put it together and, and get them out in, in the week that airs. And they've been having this continuing storyline. So far this season, sort of continuing from last season, uh, 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 concerning the election between, as they describe it, the uh, giant douche and the turd sandwich. That's how they have characterized this election with a big focus uh, on on the giant douche. And um, they're sort of going through on South Park, I think, what the entire country is going through in one sense. Uh, One of the characters who was a supporter of Turd Sandwich uh, heard uh, douche speaking and uh, douche is saying, don't vote for me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared to death. I, I You shouldn't vote for me. I'm completely unqualified for this job. And of course, douche's supporters started yelling and screaming how wonderful he is, no matter what it is that he said. And of course, that made this character who had been supporting Turd Sandwich decide that, yeah, I like a uh, giant douche. He actually speaks like a normal person, not like a politician. And he decided that uh, he was going to change his mind and go with him instead. I was wrong, Stephen. I'm voting for your guy. What? It's just... I see what you mean. He talks like an ordinary person. And he has a lot of the same emotions I do, you know? He's got my vote. Are you out of your f***ing mind? What? You want to vote for that douche? (laughs) He'll ruin this country! You were just voting for him yesterday! Yeah, but not anymore. What happened? I don't know. What the hell is wrong with people? You don't just flip back and forth like that. You just did. I did. (laughs) What's going on, Steven? Why does everything suck this hard? (laughs) I don't know. Nobody knows what to think anymore. But how did we get here? Completely confused and with shit for choices? (laughs) It's like... It's like there are other forces at work. Yes, yes, indeed. There are other forces at work. At least that's what Donald Trump is telling his followers. And I would argue, indeed, there are other forces at work that go above and beyond, way beyond Donald Trump. This meltdown that the Republican Party and thus the nation is going through right now did not begin with Donald Trump. I might draw your attention back to uh, 2004. Ron Suskind, uh, writing uh, that year in late 2004 about the presidency of George W. Bush. I think it was right before the, uh, the election that year. He was writing in the New York Times magazine. He reported a conversation with a Bush aide, as he described it at the time. We now know that Bush aide to have been Karl Rove. And by the way, anybody seen Karl Rove lately? You seen Desi Doyne? You seen Karl Rove? No, he's anywhere? been curiously silent and absent. Completely. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't watch Fox News all that much, uh, so maybe he's still appearing on there, but I've heard almost nothing from that guy. Anyway, um... And I haven't missed it at all, by the way. Uh, Suskind said, uh, he quoted Rove this way. Uh, He said, quote, he said, guys, he said that guys like me were in, quote, what we call the reality based community. That's what we used to actually a lot of bloggers. You recall was that, you know, back in the years when George W. Bush was telling you everything was going fine, nothing to worry about in Iraq. 
they're they're greeting us with uh, as as liberators and this insurgency will be over any minute not to worry and uh, a lot of us in the blogging community and so forth described ourselves as in the reality based community well Karl Rove was sort of making fun of that uh, he said, you are in the, what we call the reality based community, which he defined as people who, quote, believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. Yeah, I think that solutions do emerge from the judicious study of discern- discernible reality. But Karl Rove was mocking that at the time. He said, that's not the way the world works anymore. When we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too, and that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. That was Karl Rove back in 2004. Uh, basically saying we create our own reality and you people, you people in the media, you people in the so-called reality based community, you you people can make of make of what we do as you will. We make our own reality now. Good luck keeping up. Uh, that's, I would argue, where much of this uh, began, maybe earlier maybe earlier politically, but just talking about the mindset, just talking about, you know, how how a party, a once respectable Republican Party can end up nominating someone like Donald Trump and can stick with him. And he can have hundreds of millions of supporters across the country who, no matter what it is, as Donald Trump himself has once said, he could go out and shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they would still vote for him. How did we get here? Well, I don't know that we're going to find all of the answers today, but I think we are in the uh, in the throes of what, if not the uh, the end of that false reality that uh, Karl Rove talked about in 2004, at least maybe the beginning of the end of that false reality. But we got a long way to go. Uh, The Republican Party has, in fact, now completely lost touch, I would argue, with all, all reality. And we're left to pay the price. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea what to do with their candidate, but they have no idea what to do with with the country at all. And they have no idea, certainly, what to do with where uh, Donald Trump has now left them. Even the vice presidential nominee, Mike Pence, he's been left hanging out there. He's completely out of touch from reality. To give you an idea, listen to this clip from uh, from yesterday. Uh, it's it's an interesting, if a disturbing question now. Uh, from uh, this came from a local news anchor in Columbus, Ohio, to Mike Pence. Uh, listen to the question, and uh, and listen to the answer from Mike Pence. It was a very good question from a from a from a Girl Scout, actually, eleven year old. So listen to this question and then listen to the answer from Mike Pence. And, of course, also, while you're at it, pay very attention to the very, very smart follow up uh, response uh, from the uh, from the local news anchor, because it also underscores uh, the media's culpability in all of this. There was a Girl Scout troop came to our station the other day for a tour. And then afterward, there was an 11 year old girl who told our staff and she said this completely unsolicited. She was talking about Donald Trump's words and campaign commercials, and she said this, when I hear those words and look in the mirror, 
they make me feel bad about myself. And again, she said that totally unsolicited. What would you say to that 11-year-old girl? Well, I, I would say to, uh, to any one of my kids and any children in this country that uh, Donald Trump and I are committed uh, to a safer and more prosperous future for their family. Uh, the weak and feckless foreign policy that Hillary Clinton promises to continue has literally caused wider areas of the world to spin apart. The rise of terrorist threats that have inspired violence here at home. We've seen, uh, we've seen uh, 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 an erosion of law and order in our streets and we've seen, we've seen opportunities and jobs evaporate and, and even leave Ohio and leave this country. And I would say to any of our kids that, that if Donald Trump and I have the chance to serve in the White House, that we're going to work every day for a stronger, safer, and more prosperous America. Governor Mike Pence, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. So this 11-year-old girl wants to know, when she hears Donald Trump's words, she looks in the mirror, she feels bad about herself. She feels bad about her body. She feels bad about her body image. And uh, the answer is uh, Hillary Clinton has a feckless foreign policy and we're going to keep the world safe from ISIS. Yeah, that's responsive. <laughs> My goodness. And 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 the anchor, this uh, WBNS uh, 10 TV in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you very much, uh, Governor Pence. That's it. Pence has no clue how to answer that. No clue how to respond to that doesn't even try, and the media, uh, in this case, doesn't even bother to push him on it. I, 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 I mean, how out of touch with actual reality, with a question that somebody asked you. What's your name? Hillary Clinton has a feckless foreign policy, <laughs> and uh, ISIS is trying to destroy us. What? So his own vice presidential nominee does not know how to handle any of this that's going on. So imagine how his surrogates must be doing, uh, particularly the not too terribly bright ones uh, like Dr. Ben Carson. Here he is this morning on Morning Joe on MSNBC being asked a question uh, uh, by the BBC's Katie K. Caddy K. Caddy K. Is it Caddy? Caddy. Caddy K. About uh, uh, all of these uh, allegations, these uh, allegations that Donald Trump, they're now an avalanche uh, of women who are accusing him of, of groping and uh, inappropriate behavior, kissing and everything else. Uh, here's what happened on Morning Joe this morning with, with Ben Carson. Look, I want to push you on this allegations of sexual abuse because you seem to be suggesting uh, this morning in this interview with your description of the first class cabin and in previous interviews that these women are lying. The real reason that women who have been sexually abused don't come forward to talk about their stories is precisely this, that all too often they are accused of being liars. Are you saying that these women are lying? That's your characterization, because you need to characterize it that way to try to make me the bad guy. No, but no, here's no, 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 the no, 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 do you believe these women are lying or not? Nobody's trying to paint you as a bad guy. We just want an answer. Straight talk. It, it, it doesn't matter whether they're lying of or not. Of course it matters. What matters, it, listen, it doesn't matter whether they're lying or not. What matters 
is that the train is going off the cliff. We're taking our eye off of that, no, and Mr. we're getting Mr. involved in other Dr. issues Carson, that can be taken care of later. Because if the campaign can, is saying, listen, and you are suggesting listen, that they are lying because this possibly couldn't have happened because of the way that first-class cabins are designed and their air hostess is there, you listen, which is implying you that you think they are moment? lying, that they're not telling the truth, you guys that's have a, a plug, huge please? issue. Okay. Here's what we need to be thinking about. I love the fact that all of a sudden you want to talk about morality in our country. I would love us to bring back our Judeo-Christian values and begin to teach those things and emphasize them at a time other than a political election. Let's do that. But right now, the train is going off the cliff. Are, are they not relevant? <laughs> so the train is going off the cliff. You would love to talk about, you know, issues of character and, and morality. Uh, but not now, not during an election, not when we're going to decide, uh, uh, you know, w whether a man who is a, a pathological liar who has uh, now have, uh, I don't know, how many women coming forward and accusing him of all sorts of dark things that he himself has admitted to on videotape, on audio tape and everything else. But I, I'm, I'm not even trying. I don't even want to talk today about... Donald Trump. I don't even want to talk about the issues uh, that he is necessarily facing. I'm I'm actually trying to talk about us because uh, did I mention at the top of the show? You'll be OK. This is OK. We're all OK. We're all going to make it. Desi Doyen, you had said there was a, a, a new study from the uh, Psycholo American Psychological Association, was it, uh, that you saw yes. today? Yes, it was a survey that the American Psychological Association puts out every year. It's uh, called the American uh, Stress in America Survey. And one of the results that they made sure that people heard about was that more than half of U.S. adults, regardless of party, feel very or somewhat stressed by the election. More than half, More regardless than half of party. feel very stressed Stress. or somewhat yeah. stressed I, about we, the election. We all do. We all do. And uh, it was uh, just uh, about a week ago when we saw that uh, debate between uh, Clinton and Trump, that second debate in St. Louis that was so dark. And we talked about it on the show the next day. It was so dark. This country is going through a trauma from this election from Donald Trump. From uh, the fact that Donald Trump is in the position that he is in at all, which is why I say this did not start with Donald Trump. But after that debate, uh, I read some uh, some some brief quotes from Josh Marshall over a talking points memo who I think has had really one of the smartest takes. I've been reading a lot about uh, Trump and everything else. And everyone's got a thought on him, of course. Um but I think Josh really has got a bead on what is going on here. And we talk, and he wrote about uh, the fact that after that debate, we all felt like we have been living in the uh, in the abuser's house, in the house of an abuser. And we're all trying to survive that. Well, he followed it up uh, today with a, uh, a piece he calls In the Abuser's House Part 2. And I, I, I want to read... Uh, read this at, at some uh, length here because I think once again he's on the money he says once again we have a day that knocks into pieces everything we think is within the realm of the possibly normal or conceivable in our politics Republicans half cut Trump loose over the weekend only to see a rapid and brutal backlash from Trump supporters who make up the bulk of the base of the Republican Party 
That they didn't anticipate this is a, me- is a measure of how much at this late date they still don't quite grasp the nature of the person they are dealing with or the moment they are operating in. By Monday, the few Republicans who had explicitly jumped ship were starting to jump back on the ship. Now, over the course of a single evening, we have as many as a dozen new accusers, women from various walks of life, different parts of the country, different historical eras. By any remotely reasonable political moral logic, Trump's whole party would now desert him en masse. But it's less than four weeks before the election, and the process of endorsing, de-endorsing, re-endorsing, and more has become too much of a dark comedy to go through yet again. As I noted earlier this week, Josh says, Trump is now at war with Hillary, the media, and the GOP, but the GOP is the only one of those three that he's in a position to actually hurt, and bullies prey on the weak. It is difficult to keep track of, to comprehend the totality of what's going on, and by that I mean not simply Trump's being revealed as a serial predator or what's looking like the scale, if not the M.O., of a Bill Cosby. We know such men exist, but it's also the man who spent a year and a half demonizing and targeting various ethnic and racial groups, mainstreaming white supremacists and anti-Semitism, He's also threatened to upend core geopolitical ties around the world, been revealed as a serial con artist. From high-flying cons involving hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars to the most penny anti-seminar schemes targeting the desperate and vulnerable. All of it, of course, comes back to a simple reality. This is the consequence of a major political party tethering itself and its fate to a deeply damaged psyche. Not just the entire party, but the entire country is forced into the chaos and drama that might only exist in such a person's head and for his family members and work associates. People with severe personality disorders create drama and chaos around them. They create more when placed under stress. This is one of the most basic and enduring facts of human experience. We've seen it play out with Trump. As we've discussed in recent weeks, everyone who crosses into Trump's orbit, into his gravitational pull, gets damaged. No one gets unhurt. What stands out about all of these cases, the Chris Christie's, the Rudy Giuliani's, the Reince Priebus's, is that the damage is almost always self-inflicted. They give it away. They give way to it willingly. They surrender their dignity and selves through an alchemy which is all but inscrutable. But the damage is always part of the time with Trump. Think of Paul Ryan, Chris Christie, Reince Priebus, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Paul Manafort. I could list dozens of others. Josh Marshall writes, It is impossible to think of any of these men and not see their stature reduced, their dignity in tatters, and in some cases, quite possibly, their careers over. And these are the people who have tried to enlist with Trump, or at least manage in his presence. It doesn't get to the men and women he's victimized. Of course, the ultimate victim is the Republican Party and, on a larger canvas, the country itself. As I wrote Sunday night in reaction to the debate, he says one of the greatest damages is that we've all come to see Trump's chaotic emotions, violence, and tirades as perhaps half-normal. I had a hard time divining 
Whether his angry bluster and transgressive antics in the debate would have any effect because we've all become so used to it. Like family members living in the home of an abuser, our sense of what is normal starts to get blunted and deformed under the weight of abuse. The whole country is damaged in a way that won't soon lift under the best of circumstances. That's Josh Marshall. We are going through a great American trauma right now. Uh, as Michelle Obama said yesterday, uh, no, no, this is not normal. This is not normal. This is not politics as usual. This is disgraceful. It is intolerable. And it doesn't matter what party you belong to, Democrat, Republican, Independent, no woman deserves to be treated this way. None of us deserves this kind of abuse. No, we don't. But uh, this did not start with Donald Trump. And I think it's important to remember that because if we think it started with Donald Trump, then it will end with Donald Trump. It will end uh, when this election ends, if uh, he ends up losing. And that's still a big if in my mind. But let's say he does end up uh, losing as it looks like he likely will. But we will still be left uh, not only with the remnants of Donald Trump, but we will be left with what brought us Donald Trump in the first place, unless there is some form of reckoning. Because it won't end with Donald Trump. This reckoning will continue for a very long time. But at least uh, the good news, once again, good news. <laughs> uh, it seems like the civil war that uh, inside of the Republican Party has begun in earnest. So that means or should mean or maybe means that we may be nearing at least a beginning to the end. But you're OK. I'm okay. We're all okay. This is not your fault. This is not my fault. It is the Republicans' fault. It is the American corporate media that allowed this to go on for so many years, so many decades now. Uh, but uh, they should have known better. We should have known better. Uh, and we can all do better. Barack Obama was speaking uh, sort of on this point. I believe this was just today, just an hour or two ago uh, in, in Cleveland, Ohio, at a rally for, uh, for Hillary Clinton. It's, it's part of why I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed about Republican elected officials who know better but are still supporting this guy. You know, I... I I said that, in part, what's happened here is over the last eight years, Republican officials who know better, some of whom I talk to, they're sane people, they're normal folks, but what they've done is they've allowed a lot of crazy talk to just be pumped out again and again through all kinds of these media outlets. Conspiracy theories, you know, I was born outside this country, and. You know, Hillary and I started ISIL, and you know, we're, we're going to impose martial law, and we're trying to take everybody's guns away, and, you know, and, and, and crazier stuff than that. And, and, 
And a lot of Republican elected officials have just stood by. A lot of House members, a lot of senators, they stood by and, and they didn't say anything because it was a way to rile up their base and it was a way to mount opposition to whatever we were trying to do. And over time, because a lot of the hardcore Republican partisan voters were just hearing this stuff over and over again, they started to believe it. And that's what allowed Donald Trump suddenly to emerge. Donald Trump didn't build all this crazy conspiracy stuff. And some Republicans who knew better stood by silently and even during the course of this campaign didn't say anything. I mean, I know that some of them now are walking away, but why did it take you this long? Good question. Why did it take you this long? That was Barack Obama speaking today in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. He said uh, it, it has not just been, uh, well, he talked about what the Republicans have not done over this past eight years, how they have not bothered to correct, correct, correct any of this nonsense that has been created out of whole cloth, these great conspiracies about Obama and his background. But it is not just those eight years of Obama. This has been going on for much longer than that in this country. So to ignore everything that happened in the Bush years that set up what then came thereafter in the eight years of Obama is to really uh, avoid the problem, is to ignore the problem, is to ignore the totality of how we got here. I need to I need to take a quick break. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we yes, what he's talking about is correct. And it has resulted in a broken government. And it has resulted in a, in a government where you've got a president of the United States who has to use executive orders to try to do things, who has to give us uh, legislation that is much less than it should be. He has to make uh, compromises in order to get anything passed, like when it comes to the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, the Affordable Care Act is a terrible law, but it was, by and large, at that time, the only one that could pass. And, you know, because we have a Congress, remember, it passed with not a single Republican vote. The stimulus plan passed without a single Republican vote in, in the wake of the worst uh, recession near depression uh, in, uh, you know, since the since the Great Depression. Uh, and so, you know, now it's executive orders, which then they get to say, oh, that's tyranny in order to try to get anything done, in order to try to move the ball in the right direction. So government, the federal government is broken and state governments are echoing what we see at the federal level. Broken, broken, broken. But what's not broken is uh, the ballot box, that you can do something at the ballot box. This, that's why voting is so important. And that's why, by the way, the media is so important, uh, for them to get it right. That's why we cover what we cover, uh, what we do at, at bradblog.com and what we do here on the broadcast for so many years, because ultimately the only thing that's left is you. Is you, is your vote at the ballot box after we've been failed by the politicians, after the uh, mainstream media have failed us? At least it's up to you. At least you can still vote. Anyway, 
uh, some of those Republicans who have been uh, standing by for so long and not doing anything. We'll talk about that uh, and the ballot box next. Uh, Take a quick break and we'll be back for more. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all going to be okay. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Light into your life. I'm Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. It's going to be okay, I promise. Despite the dark, dark speech that we heard from uh, from Donald Trump yesterday in uh, where was this Desi Doyen? West Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah. So dark. So dark, um, but uh, but I want to play it to give you an idea of, of where we are, where this thing may go, and uh, to remind you that, again, we're going to be okay, no matter uh, what you hear in this about these, uh, these dark conspiracies that Donald Trump is projecting onto the country, onto the world, that are all about him, of course. Um, but th- this gets dark, and this is the, the first time he's damn near explicitly gone in, uh, I think, this deep into the worldwide conspiracy to destroy him. And because we are coming through decades now of a, of a political party that has, has lied, has told you these uh, w- deep, dark conspiracies are going on, and uh, the media have been afraid to correct them, have been afraid to call them out as liars until really only recently. Well, the damage has been done. That's why there are so many millions who buy into, uh, into Donald Trump's nonsense. Here's a clip of that nonsense. Yesterday, West Palm Beach, Florida. Go ahead. This is not simply another four-year election. This is a crossroads in the history of our civilization. Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends, and her donors. Honestly, she should be locked up. Should be. Should be locked up. This is a struggle for the survival of our nation. Believe me. And this will be our last chance to save it on November 8th. This election will determine whether we're a free nation or whether we have only the illusion of democracy. 
but are in fact controlled by a small handful of global special interests rigging the system. They will attack you. They will slander you. They will seek to destroy your career and your family. They will seek to destroy everything about you, including your reputation. They will lie, lie, lie. And then again, they will do worse than that. They will do whatever's necessary. The Clintons are criminals, remember that, they're criminals. This is well documented. And the establishment that protects them has engaged in a massive cover-up. I take all of these slings and arrows gladly for you. I take them for our movement so that we can have our country back. Our great civilization here in America and across the civilized world has come upon a moment of reckoning. This is a conspiracy against you, the American people, and we cannot let this happen or continue. This is our moment of reckoning as a society and as a civilization itself. Many of my friends and many political experts warned me that this campaign would be a journey to hell. Said that. But they're wrong. It will be a journey to heaven. I'm the only one that can fix it. Uh, okay, then. <laughs> a moment of reckoning, a journey to hell. I think uh, there is a moment of reckoning. Not the one that Donald Trump is talking about, however. At least I hope that's not the case. I told you it was going to be dark. Um, this moment of reckoning, I think, is beginning to appear within the Republican Party. I believe they are finally understanding, at least to some extent, that uh, something here went terribly wrong. And I don't think they fully, I think it's going to be actually quite a while before they fully appreciate just how far off the rails that party has gone. But there's some indication that they're starting to get it. There's uh, uh, Vox.com uh, had a, a great interview with Charlie Sykes, who's a right wing, far right wing radio host who has for years uh, been facilitating everything, everything that has created Donald Trump. He uh, was one of the big uh, Scott Walker supporters. He gave away millions of dollars in airtime, I would argue, in violation of the law in order to uh, allow uh, in, in order to help Scott Walker supporters get him elected and then reelected in the recalls and then reelected again officially two years later. And now Charlie Sykes is finally realizing, oh, something went wrong. This is our fault. We own Donald Trump. We did this. He's won and, and he's, he's retiring, I think, at the end of the year, Charlie Sykes is. And I don't want to give him too much credit, but at least he's starting to understand that, yeah, it, uh, it, this did all start with, with right-wing talk radio. This interview with, uh, with Sean Illing over at, uh, at Vox.com, I'll read you just a little bit of this here. Uh, Sean Illing says, I assume this election has been utterly disorienting for you. Sykes says, it's extremely disorienting and disillusioning, and I haven't made any secret of that. To realize, first of all, that you're part of a movement 
that was not the movement you thought it was, that you're aligned with people that you didn't really understand you're aligned with, and to realize everything that you thought about the conservative intellectual infrastructure was really pie-crust thin. You thought you had this big principled movement, and then suddenly along comes Donald Trump, and you realize that it was just the pastry on top. So I think disorienting is a great term, Sykes says. You basically feel the world kind of shifting under your feet, and you look around and you say, okay, I'm a conservative talk radio host in a world in which the conservative media is basically setting itself on fire. Do I really want to be a part of this? This has been in the back of my mind all year long, and I need to be able to step back and ask, what the hell just happened? How could we have misunderstood this so much? When you find out so many of the people that you had relied upon and trusted were in fact phonies, then you have to step back and ask, what is my standard of credibility? What do I believe? What's happening is unthinkable says Sykes, by any objective standard. If the Republican Party took the ideas or principles or any of the things that it claimed it stood for seriously, that would not be possible. Seriously, this is the party that just nominated Donald Trump, watching a party that had eight years ago mocked Democrats for having low information voters and a cult of personality, and now it's like we have the lowest information voters ever and the worst cult of personality that I've seen since the 1930s. What happened in the 1930s that he might be referring to there, uh, I wonder, there's a lot more in, in this from uh, Charlie Sykes. Maybe we'll get to it uh, on another show because there's some amazing stuff. He says, if, if you and I had this conversation a year ago, I would have disagreed with you vigorously about uh, his conservative friends uh, flirting with darker forces and helping to facilitate all of this and that Trump is the culmination of something, not the beginning of something. He said, I would have disagreed with you vigorously on that. Uh, I would have said, there you go again with the darker forces garbage. Conservatives have been accused of this for years, but obviously there's some truth to what you just said. He says, I haven't totally worked this out, but the question is simple. Is Donald Trump a logical continuity or does he mark a radical break, a, a discontinuity? He says, I can tell you some of the things he is saying about Muslims and immigrants is just way out there. It's hard to say where it comes from exactly, but we clearly have to ask the question. So the scales are finally being lifted from Charlie Sykes's eyes. He has no idea where all this came from, even though he was part and parcel of fomenting and creating this false reality and fomenting these false ideas among the Republican base. And he's just now discovering who the Republican base really is. That's what he seems to be saying. Now, he does, uh, to his credit, for whatever credit he is due, he does realize that, yes, this did start with with him, with talk radio, with him and his colleagues. Uh, and, and there's more of that in that interview at Vox um, and uh, talk of that reckoning that now needs to come. It's a little late for that, you know, but he helped create the GOP Frankenstein monster that yep. now threatens us all. Yep. And at the same time, he's up in Wisconsin. And, you know, when we talk about what to do about this, what the reckoning is that's coming, uh, he's up in Wisconsin. He's still on the air as far as I know. Is he going to bat for people like Sarada Hanamudas? Uh, she was uh, she was born in Ireland in 1974 to Indian parents. She moved to the United States when she was six weeks old. She became a U.S. citizen when she was eight and she grew up in uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. 
An American citizen, though. An American citizen, right. She came here six weeks old. She became a citizen. Uh, Ari Berman writes about her in The Nation. We've been covering a lot of the stories that Ari's been writing about of the people trying to vote up in the state of Wisconsin. As I said before the break, if there's going to be anything that changes here, these people are going to be voted out. In Wisconsin, by the way, Paul Ryan... That's where he's from. He needs to be voted out. Every Republican needs to be voted out if you want a reckoning. If you want to hold the people accountable for the uh, for what where we are, for what has become of our country, for what has become of a nation that could nominate a Donald Trump, you do. You, there is something you can do. Now you might like Donald Trump. So, you know, go vote for him. You might like Paul Ryan. Go vote for him. But if you if you're looking for a reckoning and if you happen to be a talk radio show host in uh, in Wisconsin, well, why don't you get on the air and start uh, informing your listeners about how we got here and about what they can do about it? Well, remember to tell Sarada Hanamudas that she has a choice. She can vote. Well, maybe she can't. Thanks to Republicans in Wisconsin. Thanks to Scott Walker. Thanks to Charlie Sykes. In 2012, uh, Berman writes, after having twin girls, Serata moved to Wisconsin because her sister lived there, taught high school, and she taught high school in uh, high school English in Sun Prairie, a suburb of Madison. She voted in every election since she was 18, including in Wisconsin in both 2012 and 2014. But after Wisconsin's strict photo ID law took place, took effect in 2016, Serata suddenly wasn't able to vote. She had an Illinois driver's license. She had proof of Wisconsin residency, but she did not have a Wisconsin issued photo ID. She said she looked at her husband and said, I don't think I'll be able to vote. And he said, no, no, it'll be fine. And then she went to get a Wisconsin driver's license at the, the DMV in Sun Prairie, said, well, she would need to have a copy of her birth certificate to prove her citizenship. But she was not born in the U.S. Remember, she came here when she was six weeks old, and her, child, uh, her childhood passport had expired. The DMV said she needed to get her naturalization papers instead. So she called the DMV a month later and said that her father could not find her naturalization papers. Remember, she was naturalized when she was eight years old. So she called the Immigration and Naturalization Services, who said it would cost her $345 and it would take up to two years to get a copy of her naturalization papers. She said, we weren't in the financial situation to do that. Her twins have cystic fibrosis, which is expensive to care for. She said, despite uh, working for the state and having a driver's license, having a Social Security card, having a marriage certificate, she still cannot vote in Wisconsin in 2016. She said, I'm an American. I'm being asked for my papers in Wisconsin, and I have never been asked in my life to prove my citizenship. I feel disenfranchised. She has been disenfranchised. In addition, in, in addition to wanting to vote in the presidential race, by the way, Sun Prairie has a referendum on the ballot to build two new elementary schools, which is very important to Serata as a teacher, as an employee in the schools, as someone who sees what's happening with kids every day. She says, I can't vote on the referendum. Serata, of course, is just one of some 300,000 registered voters in Wisconsin, according to uh, a federal court decision, who do not have the strict form of photo ID. That is now needed to vote in the state of Wisconsin and will still be needed to vote in the state of Wisconsin 
in November. Many are still unable to vote at all, with four weeks out and early voting already underway in cities throughout Wisconsin. And yet Governor Scott Walker, who Charlie Sykes helped to get elected, he said uh, uh, during the primary this year that the photo ID law was working just fine. And yet we know people are going to the ID uh, to the uh, DMV to get this certificate that they are supposed to be granted that a federal court who was about to strike down the law was told by the state of Wisconsin back in July. Oh, don't worry about it. We've made it easier for the at the DMV. All you need to do is go in there. And you will get uh, the, uh, the, the ID petition process started. You will immediately be given a certificate so that you will be able to vote in early voting or on Election Day. You'll get it within six days, is what they said in the mail. And last week, uh, we, uh, we had someone from Vote Riders, the founder of Vote Riders, on. The Vote Riders have been going around to the DMVs in Wisconsin and finding out that, no, they're being told that they, that they can't get that ID to vote, that it's going to take six to eight weeks to get it in the mail. Well, the federal judge heard about it, is furious, has absolutely ripped the state of Wisconsin, but now says it's too late. He cannot overturn this law. He can't uh, knock it down. It's too late. The voting has already started. He's furious. He's ordered the DMV and the state to do something about this, to retrain their staff. They said, oh, yeah, well, we'll do that. We'll do that now. Now we'll retrain the staff two months later. Back when they had already said they would two months ago. Uh, so he said, uh, I'm very disappointed to see that the state really did nothing in response to my order. He called it a, a manifestly inadequate what they did. A miserable failure, and now, however, it's too late. And they it looks like they are not going to be able to strike down this law. So if you live in Wisconsin, if you want to do something about it, if you want to exercise your voice, if you want to respond to all of this uh, nightmare that we are hearing this year, it's not going to be easy in the state of Wisconsin. Some 300,000 uh, registered voters, not to mention the newly registered voters who are also going to have problems if they don't have the ID that they now need to vote in the state of Wisconsin. That's why voting matters. That's why elections matter. That's why what the media tells you matters. That's why uh, having a responsible corporate media who tells you the truth and does not allow these lies to continue because they're too goddamn polite to say, oh, no, sir, you are lying. Thank you very much for uh, thank you very much for the interview. They don't say that. Well, they're starting to now. That's a good thing. Only question is, is it too late? But we're okay, and you're okay, and I'm okay, and we're all going to be okay, and we're all going to get through this together. We are going to get through this together. It's okay. There is light at the end of the tunnel, right? I hope so. Hope it's not the train coming at us. Oh, brother. <laughs> Thanks for ruining my good outlook, Desi Doy. And a quick break, and we're back with more broadcast right after this. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. 
Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Welcome back to the broadcast. That song always makes me feel better. I don't know why. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Got just a few minutes left here. Let me uh, hit some email uh, sent in to bradcast at bradblog.com. This from Milo in Florida concerning my interview yesterday with Susan Booker, the supervisor of elections down there in Palm Beach County, Florida. Milo says, as one who walked door to door to get Susan Booker elected after the disaster of Teresa Lapore, she was she of the butterfly ballot back in 2000. Your fairly cloying interview with Miss Booker left me a bit taken aback. When I go to vote here in Palm Beach County, specifically here in West Palm Beach, Florida, I am never sure that my vote has been properly counted. I fill out the large paper ballot and then bring it in over to the uh, Optical scanner where I see from the number on the scanner that my vote was counted. Now you and Ms. Booker might have all the confidence in the world that my vote was accurately counted by that scanner, but I am now and will always remain skeptical. You seem to have been taken in by her shotgun defense of electronic equipment. I am not. And neither are some of your competitors in the world of accurately investigating whether America's voting systems can be trusted. I say this all as one who regularly promotes your show and blogs and and blog to uh, Facebook friends and others. Thank you for that. Either you have faith in the machines or you have faith in old-fashioned counting of paper ballots, precinct by precinct, by hand count, no amount of flim-flam by a slick-talking supervisor of elections will convince me otherwise. Very best wishes and continued success, Brad. Says Milo. Now, um, I was rather taken aback by this email, uh, especially from someone who uh, regularly promotes the show and the blog and so forth. Uh, anyone who has followed Bradblog.com or even the Bradcast for the past 10 plus years, I would think, would know that I am uh, one of the nation's leading voices when it comes to the concerns about electronic voting systems and electronic tabulation systems. And one of the longest, going the longest back. Yeah, well, and yeah, I probably have, uh, boy, at least 5,000 articles on uh, on this, uh, you know, was uh, helpful in uh, getting a Diebold machine for the first time to from a source to uh, to Princeton University, which did one of the first major public hacks of these uh, voting systems. Uh, so this was weird because, you know, uh, we've broken anyone who has known us for years knows we've broken exclusive after exclusive on electronic voting. So the idea uh, that somehow they uh, Milo got from my interview with uh, Susan Booker yesterday that I was somehow not concerned that I have confidence in these electronic voting uh, t- systems, whether they're voting systems or computer tabulator systems, even with paper ballots. I'll go ahead and take the blame. Apparently. Uh, I, you know, wasn't clear enough on yesterday's program that, no, I do not have any confidence in them. Now, we did talk with uh, Susan about the fact that back in 2010, March in 2010, and we ran a lot of exclusives on this, Palm Beach County actually uh, had a case where three different elections, three different uh, contests were reported inaccurately by the computer paper ballot op scanners. 
And it was only after a hand count, thanks to Susan Booker, who noticed, hey, wait, these results seem a little bit weird. She had to go to court and get a court order because in Florida you can't count paper ballots on your own. You have to get approval by the court to be able to do that. Even uh, the county clerk, the supervisors of election, as they call them in, in Florida. Uh, and she, in fact, found that the computers made by Sequoia had, in fact, uh, announced uh, three winners to be losers and vice versa. And they only found that out after a hand count. Now, uh, Booker did say that uh, they've, they've made corrections to the machine. She was perhaps more confident in the results uh, than I was. And if I didn't make that clear, I'm making it clear now. These paper ballot optical scanners uh, tabulate ballots either correctly or incorrectly. There is no way of knowing unless you bother to hand count the paper ballots. Other than that, it's faith-based voting, and they don't count hand count them in Florida or in almost anywhere in the entire country. A lot of people like to say, oh, if there's questions about the results afterwards, well, what if you don't notice there's questions of, about the results? We're lucky when we have a, a result that is so strange we, we bother to notice. In most cases, we simply take them for granted. So, no, I don't know where Milo got that idea. I'm sorry uh, that he got it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll take the blame. I'm sure something I said uh, gave him that impression during the interview. But those who know me, I would hope uh, by now know better. Um, I have no confidence in those, uh, in those machines at all. Uh, but thank you for the note, Milo, um, and uh, at Brad to Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And as a matter of fact, I replied as much via email to Milo and cited a tweet that I had uh, <laughs> put out just just minutes before, actually an hour or two before I got this email from him. Uh, I tweeted out this from uh, from uh, Dr. David Dilley, He's a professor of engineering and computer science at Stanford University. He was talking about electronic voting machines and Internet voting. He was on the Larry Majid uh, uh, podcast. Uh, Dill has been writing about uh, electronic voting and, and the concerns about it for years, but I think they're finally starting to get it. Even these computer scientists who up till now have felt that, you know, there are computer solutions to these problems. Well, there are not, because as he points out, uh, particularly in, with voting systems that have no paper ballots whatsoever, or systems where you don't even bother to you know, count any of those paper ballots, you just trust the computers. He says, quote, suppose you have an election that could be rigged and it's not detectable, but it isn't rigged. Then after the election, people still don't know whether they should trust the results or not. Bingo. That's exactly what I've been trying to point out for so many years. When you have systems that aren't checked for accuracy, or that can't be checked for accuracy, like we still use all over the country, whether an election is stolen or not actually doesn't matter. The fact that it could be, the fact that people fear that it is, the fact that they don't oversee, they can't oversee the tabulation of their own elections, that in and of itself undermines democracy. And it, it is that vulnerability that Donald Trump is taking advantage of now, scaring the hell out of people, and I wish I could say there is absolutely uh, no reason that Donald Trump is absolutely wrong on that front. I can't. 
because of the electronic systems that we still stupidly continue to use in this country. Whether the election is stolen or not, the fact that people think it can be because they can't oversee it, that is the grave and continuing threat to our democracy and uh, one we may be facing on November 8th. We'll see again. My thanks to my producer Desi Doyen today and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free at bradblog.com. Thanks again to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do here on your public airwaves. It's greatly appreciated. I can also be reached via the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. Until we meet again, it's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all going to be fine. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>